1: of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to GriefCast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming
0: film, If. Only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531 Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do
0: the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
1: Hey Greesters, I hope you're having an okay week Thank you so much for your amazing comments on all the episodes we've had this series but I I got a lot of response for last week's episode with Monty Don, a lot of you getting in touch to say you were basically just walking along the road crying, um, sorry (laughs) I know I'm the show that does that to you but yeah, thank you, I know it was a really it felt like quite a special episode, so thank you so much for getting in touch about that If you are enjoying the show, please do rate and review and subscribe, and that sort of thing it does help uh, make the show reach more people which means I can carry on making them Thank you if you've done that already. This week I'm talking to former doctor and writer Simon Stevenson. Simon is the author of the brand new fiction work Set My Heart to Five, a very, very funny debut novel, which has uh, come out now already, I think. Uh, He's also written for Pixar, he's written a film that's coming out soon, and you may have heard his name before because he wrote an award-winning non-fiction book, Let Not the Waves of the Sea, back in 2012. Uh, Let Not the Waves of the Sea was about the death of his brother in the Boxing Day tsunami, and that's the story we mainly spoke about. Do I have to call you Dr. Stevenson oh, Steve Steve or I you let that no, go? No,
0: absolutely not. i, I don't. Even, probably not even allowed to use that anymore. It's been a while. So. Oh, really? Do you um,
1: think that'll be like, yeah, the, as it comes a cutoff point, like you haven't like looked at a patient for a certain amount of time.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's a legal one, but I think there's just a sort of <laughs> like... Uh, an ethical one. An ethical one, almost like an embarrassment one that, you know, because of course, you know, if you say that, then I'm sure the next thing is someone will be asking for some medical assistance. Oh, all, yeah, that's true, say, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like once when, when people find out, if you ever say you do comedy and they're like, oh, tell me a joke. And I'm sure if you ever said you're a doctor, they're like, oh, actually, I have this thing on my back. And you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to get into it, actually. Uh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. So Simon, who are we remembering today?
0: So my brother, uh, Dominic, and also his his girlfriend, Eileen, um, but obviously I'm mainly here to talk about Dominic. They were um, in, the, in, in the tsunami in Thailand in 2004, and, and they both died in the Boxing Day tsunami then.
1: 2004? <sighs> I... I st- I'm still a bit staggered that it was 2004 because it's so fresh in my head. I my mean, god, it must be for you as well. So, what anniversary are you coming up to now? If that was 2004. This
0: will be the 16th. Um, wow. This this so, so so it's Boxing Day. So it's always it's always a sort of very easy day to to remember. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, of know, course. Sort of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 16th, and of course, as you say, it doesn't doesn't really feel like that. I mean, in some ways, you know, in some ways it feels much shorter, and you know, weird in other ways, it feels much longer. You know, yeah. it feels like another lifetime ago.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Especially, I find with this um, this century, because I think if you if you had a quite large chunk of your life in the other century (laughs) (laughs) anything post 2000 is like oh that's quite new right and i'm still getting my yeah yeah yeah, that's (laughs) like that's like new guys i'm still getting my head around like yeah 2004 was yeah 16 years ago that is a long time and so much so much has happened since then like it's a bit bewildering isn't it so your brother dominic yeah. And we should say, like, so you were very close in age. Yeah, it? he so... was. He
0: was, I think, sixteen months older than me. Um, wow! So, so, so that, that your mum had her
1: hands full were... when you were young. Uh, she she absolutely did, Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I think that was slightly more common then, right? I, 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 I feel like you know, growing it's, up, yeah. we had lots of friends who, who were siblings with that one year and now, oh, really? you know, m- most of my friends who have kids, you know, it's like often like a, a you know, a minimum of a five-year gap before they're ready oh, yeah, to take yeah, the plunge yeah. again
1: So you were very, very close to him growing up, I'm guessing um...
0: Yeah, he was, he was always just, you know, he was always one year older, so he was always, you know, in that class directly mm. above you, which I think for me was brilliant because, you know you get all the advantages of, you know having this person going through things slightly ahead of you and also you know, when he gets something, you can make a strong case that you're entitled to that thing as well you know, <laughs> you know if, the, if there's only a year between you yeah, and i think of
1: course and you can't have that because my brother's four years older so there was always that argument of like but he's so much older they, exactly, only exactly. a year, and, and, and you like, can't
0: that's irrefutable right that's so yeah, uh, you know yeah. that's a strong argument from the parents but but I, I think yeah. that the flip side is that you know it must have just been infinitely frustrating for my brother to finally get old enough to earn pocket money or do something by himself and then it would probably last about two weeks before my nagging became incessant that you know <laughs> I, I should also be entitled to this thing
1: and do you have other siblings or is it just the two of you
0: it's just the two of us um and my my parents divorced when I was about uh 12 and so, so, so I'm lucky to have four half siblings on on, on the other side right but, but in terms of you know
1: growing up with my
0: brother that was that was yeah he was easy. okay
1: so to go back to 2004 um obviously like had he just gone to thailand for holiday or like and it was all lovely and joyous and I, I,
0: exactly that it was so, so he and his girlfriend had been together for a year or two and they had my brother was an architect and he was 27 so as as you probably know it takes a long time yeah. to you, you know go through all that study so he was kind of coming to the end of that and he was working in his you know his first real job as an architect they had just bought a flat in edinburgh you know like the week before and so, wow. and they were they were going off for their their Christmas holiday, and it, it was unusual. Like you, you know, it wasn't something you know normally you know as a family we're all in Edinburgh at Christmas, and this was mm-hmm. this was kind of a, a different thing. But um, you know, it seemed it just seemed like like a great fun thing for for, for the two of them to do. So yeah, so off they went to, to Thailand, and they were about I think four or five days into the, into their holiday, and it's really strange because the place they were was kind of one of the worst places to be in you know wow. dur- during the tsunami um, and the idea that you know this is a at most one in a thousand year event like you know yeah. in fact probably way more than that and then for them to be in that exact place for those seven days is that was always a really just frankly strange thing to get my head around you know that yeah. like the the chance and and the and the combination of circumstances you know, that took them there on, on, on that day. And, you know, they could have ended up at another place very easily.
1: God. Yeah. It's really, so just, I mean, it makes me think about um, the seven, seven bombings. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I was like on the tube that day and I had a, a friend of my, someone I knew from school was, was dad was on the tube. And I remember, us, but there was something about, you know, you're in London, we live in London. And even though you were like, God, they could have been in a different tube carriage in a different line there was something like, oh, but it's not surprising they were in London. But for you, I guess that must be, like you said, so weird that they were just on the other side of the world at that point, at that beach, like all of those, ugh, there's so many things that had to happen for them to be yeah. there. Yeah, it yeah. must have been really hard after after you found out that he was dead to kind of, yeah, just get your head around that.
0: I, I, absolutely. and I mean, it's still, you know, to this day, it's still something, you know, yeah. that, that I think about. I mean, you know, a, a huge part of my grief journey and I'm sure we'll talk about it was part of it was going to Thailand and being there where those Mm -hmm. things had happened and you know getting to know people and then the other part was getting to know other families who had you know been through a similar thing and and of course you know what you learn is you know that everyone has you know a version of that and in fact anyone who you know dies too young there's usually some sort of you could have taken a different Baths, or you know and even illnesses you know there's just just random luck involved right you know you know and and so you know is being on that beach any more unlucky than you know the people that get a really tough illness at that age you know probably not and you know but it just it you know it just felt like just so odd that that they would be there yeah
1: yeah and to be so far away from from you so um so how did, how did you find out what happened?
0: Sure, yeah. So, so, so that was really a process. So I was at home in Edinburgh with, with my parents. So, so, so the tsunami happened at about nine o'clock in the morning on Boxing Day in Thai mm. time. And we are, I think the UK is eight hours behind Thailand. So um, I was woken up by the phone ringing at about nine o'clock in the morning, British time. And it seemed a bit odd. You know, I think it was actually 8.30. It was kind of like, you know, I wonder who's phoning at Mm -hmm. 8.30 on on Boxing Day morning. It must be a relative. And uh, I went and answered it. And it was one of my brother's friends. And she was saying, look, have have you seen the news? You know, there's this thing in Thailand. I think it's near where they were. And so of course you turn on the news and, you know, that's, you know, quite alarming. But equally, yeah. um, you know, of course, the news reports, I think, you know, rightly, kind of err on the side of caution in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's sort of these, these reassuring things that you hear, you hear that, you know, the telephones are out, so that's why they haven't phoned. And, you know, yeah, um, yeah. And, and those first numbers are, you know, there's four people confirmed dead, you, you know, and you kind of think, okay, well, that's, that's a tragedy, but that doesn't sound like, you know, there's a likelihood mm-hmm. that, that they're involved. And then, kind of just over the over the course of I mean it wasn't really news it was to begin with it was no news right it was just Mm. you, you know that you kind of as the hours tick by and you're kind of thinking well you know we should have we should have heard from them and you're kind of scouring the the internet for any sort, sort, sort of hint, and you're kind of getting rumours on bulletin boards of you know people saying you know well I heard the island that they're on was called PP, and I heard that the island was badly affected. And but you know you, you don't know if that's true. And then we were um, we were very lucky that one of my um, one of my uncles is a I mean all my uncles are wonderful, but 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 one of them is a wonderful man who had you know travelled in that region quite a lot, and he actually um, he volunteered to go out and kind of look for them. Um, wow. so in about like a couple of days like i can't like I would imagine it was like the twenty eighth probably he was he was wow. on a plane kind of heading out there
1: oh my goodness, and for him that must have just been like, yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, it's unimaginable, oh, isn't yeah. it? And, and at that time, you know, we still hoped that you know he was going out there to find them, you know, and to find them alive. Mm-hmm. And as the days tick by, you kind of you don't lose hope, but but I think you know you start to have this creeping sense that you know this mm-hmm. isn't this isn't right. And then you start to clutch at the straws of maybe they have amnesia, you know, maybe they're on a you know. But but the fact was that it was that kind of event. Like there were so many yeah, people involved yeah. and so much chaos that that those things were sort of were sort of conceivable the numbers were kind of creeping up. Like, you know, you'd see you'd see the numbers mm. on TV. And, you know, the number that I was focused on was the number of British people because mm. that kind of, you know, that felt like a surrogate for, you know, what's the level of risk, you, yeah, you, you know, in yeah. terms of... Um, and I think there was a point when the 29th or the 30th of December, I was lying awake in bed and I realised that there had been about, I think about 30 names that had been released mm. And I realized that none of them were from Scotland, and I kind of was just, statistically. I just, you know, I'm a science person by background, mm. and statistically, that that doesn't make sense. You know, there must have been Scottish people involved, and presumably, that you know, that's going to be Dominic and I. Um, mm. And then my uncle in Thailand was kind of giving us regular updates. You know, and he was going around the hospitals, and you know, wasn't wasn't finding anyone with amnesia. And what what ultimately happened was they, the, I think, you know, the the process of identif- and identifying people was, you know, obviously pretty haphazard for, mm. for lots of reasons, but they had found a body and in this pocket of this body's swimming shorts was, was my brother's wallet. And so that was kind of, you know, that was the real moment when, okay, well, this mm. is, you know, clearly this was, this, this was Dominic and... You know, my uncle went to went to identify him at the, you know, the makeshift hospital, the makeshift morgue, Um, and I think that was genuinely, like, obviously emotionally. I can't imagine how difficult it was, but even in a sort of pragmatic sense, it was difficult because you know these people have been in this event and you know aren't necessarily, (sighs)
1: yeah,
0: um, how you know they don't necessarily look how, how how they did in life, and so he was sort of to whatever extent he was able to confirm it was Dominic, but. The real thing was, you know, for the bodies to be released, they, they needed to have sort of DNA and dental records.
1: Um, oh, wow. So even for them to give you the body? Yeah, see, of course. Yeah. So for them to be like, we're not just going to give it to you because you think it's your son on oh, your yeah, brother. Yeah. And even though the course, wallet was there, sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: So which then enters this whole other, this whole yeah. other thing, right? So, So... so you know I'm thinking about it now for the first time in in, in so long of kind of you know then like the you know the thirtieth of december the thirty first of December like like I was like calling his dentist and trying to get oh hold of his dental God. records to fax them out and calling the um calling the hospital my brother had a, a he he had crohn's disease and mm. uh so and he'd had this particular operation and I remember calling the hospital to try and find out. Where his scar was located on his abdomen, because that was, you know, that was the kind of detail that wow. that, that, that that we needed. And the, but then oh the my actual, God, that's the actual... so
1: hard, Simon, to like be trying to, to trying to like on a, you know, detective hunt to identify a body. Like yeah. you always don't want to, you don't want to solve that case, do you? Is no, 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 like...
0: no I, I absolutely. And I think you know, I think for me, it, it really became a sort of like like a displacement thing that, mm. you, you know, I'm I'm good at that stuff at details and calling people and getting to the bottom of things and and you know that was probably I concentrated on that you know at that point a lot more than you know the emotion and and like this is you know of course of course you you
1: feel it makes you feel useful it makes you feel in control it makes you feel like I'm doing something rather than just sitting here with the truth which is unbearable
0: exactly exactly I think and I think control is an interesting I think maybe you know there was a lot of that of just trying to take some sort of some sort of control of the situation, even though clearly there was there was no control to be taken. And so, yeah, the official process, which was, you know, run by a sort of, you know, I think the Thai government, but with a whole consortium of international experts, people had to be identified either by DNA or by the dental records. And the problem with Dominic was we got hold of his dental records, but you know, there was some technical thing that dental records are just written, you know, they're handwritten and the mm-hmm. British nomenclature differs <laughs> right. from the international ones. So, so that, wasn't, that wasn't possible. And then you then go down this route of, um, you know, identifying DNA, which becomes this, you know, again, just this whole incredible procedure of like the, you know, the local police in Edinburgh had to go to their flat and kind of like take their toothbrushes and things. Oh um, my
1: God. And then at
0: the other end, I guess the, the science is, is all taking place but just the scale of the thing you know it's a slow moving thing and it took until yeah. it took until the march um for like wow. the the body to be to, to to be cleared which
1: oh my god the time you must have just that is such a long time yeah I, know, yeah I know it isn't in the grand scheme of where you are now but from boxing day to march is a is a long time to be yeah sort for... of waiting for And you can't even have a funeral you can't even say it's definitely him like was there a tiny part of you i'm only saying this because i'm sure i would do it of thinking maybe maybe it's not like
0: there's absolutely i mean there's a huge part of that and and the longer it went on you know so, so 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 my job is i'm a screenwriter and so i tell stories for a living and you know the idea of this story like the structure of it like so, so if you're watching a movie and something's not like you know yeah. someone someone seems to die at the start but then it's never confirmed like you know that at the end of the movie that that person They're not isn't dead, dead. Right? Yeah, yeah. E- exactly, e- exactly. So, so, so I definitely became as the time went on sort of Kind of secretly more and more convinced that you know there had been uh. this this terrible error, and it was just a big mistake, and you know we were going to find out that they had been washed onto some small island somewhere and were perfectly fine or were in a you know mm. in a hospital with amnesia um so, so yeah i i sort of I kind of describe those months as suspended animation because as you say mm. like because you can't have a funeral, it makes it just incredibly difficult to accept it's happened or even you know Mm. begin begin any sort of process of recovery and i always you know have so much love and sympathy for you know when i read things in the news about people who people have gone missing and they they don't know what's Mm. happened you know i think that's just such a unique uniquely awful you know human experience
1: yeah it's very strange how everything i've read and and from talking to people over and over again is that we all know when someone dies the body is just the body it's not them But the body is so important. Like it's so even though you could be like, it's just, it's not who they are. They're, you know, their soul has gone somewhere else or, or who they are as a person is, is, you know, we all have bodies. It's just this thing, but you need that. You need that body. Like people need like the burying of the dead. Like it's so weirdly fundamental in a way that. I think it's quite hard for like modern people to get your head around isn't it because there's a part of you that logically thinks well wh- why does it matter and everything i've read is like seeing the body is one of the most important things you can do to yeah. al- to help the grief start yeah because if yeah. you even if you if you don't see it there's a part of your brain that's like maybe they're not <laughs> like
0: I, I, I absolutely you know, yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think you're right i think it's a really sort of primal fundamental urge and it's mm. kind of the, the last thing you can you can do for someone and especially you know something like that when you know you mentioned that you know they're so far away from home you know you know something yeah. happens so far away from home and you just,
1: just want to bring you know, them back
0: exactly is, exactly yeah
1: so what so in March they what they yep. suddenly get in touch yeah, and say
0: yeah exactly you, you get a phone call out of the blue that you know and, and suddenly and it's all happening very quickly it's like you know the body's coming back tomorrow um, wow. and so uh you know we went out to the airport to, to meet the body arriving and sort of drove back into town and obviously the bodies in the you know the hearse there and you know the undertaker take it into their place and because of the circumstance you know it wasn't you couldn't see the body it wasn't room, yeah yeah you know, but they have a room in, in in there don't they in the in, in the undertaker place and you know I, I definitely spent a long time kind of sitting in there you know you know Did I, it
1: feel like oh I need to talk to you did you feel like oh here you, you know even yeah, though you
0: obviously yeah, talking I, to a I, coffin I, 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 Absolutely yeah I mean I I, I I would. I mean, I, I spent a long time in there, and yeah, I just talked. You know, you know, definitely, and because of course, I think when anyone dies, we all, you know, have this just huge urge to say all the things that you know we feel we didn't say, and you know, yeah. I, th- I think I think one of the lessons of my journey has been that at the time, like, I couldn't believe all these things that I left unsaid, and all the things that you know, as you know, the further away I get from it, I think the sort of more fair I, I can think of things like like the more fairly I can say well you know maybe I didn't exactly say that but I'm sure he knew that because you know
1: yeah of course but I, I think I suppose was it your first kind of your first major grief your brother dying like had anything happened
0: um yeah I mean so it it was in the I mean I mean it was far and away you, you know, mm. you know the biggest and the closest. I think I think it's relevant to mention that you know we, we did have another brother. So oh. and when so when I was he was born when I was five, but he was born very unwell. He had I think you know very severe cerebral palsy. He didn't re. I think he you know came home from the hospital a few times for visits, mm. but he he you know he died at a year old. And um, so you know I certainly have some memories of that.
1: Yeah, but yeah. in
0: terms of like actually any sort of processing of grief there was entirely subconscious or unexamined, whereas yeah, this was yeah. this was, yeah, really, the, I, you know, and, you, you know, there were obviously like a couple of, you know, I think we all go through life and tangentially there's people that we know that yeah. that, that have passed on. But yeah, this was the, you know, I think, you know, listening to your show, I think there's always that, that first big close losses and it mm. is, is the sort of the definitive one.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, definitive is the is the perfect word for it because it really does make you go, oh, I didn't say this or I didn't know I had to say that. I didn't know, I didn't know there was a clock running yeah. out. Like, yeah. and so that you know, as we say on the show all the time, we're like, oh, you're in the club, you're not in the club, and I think sometimes it. <laughs> I mean i make it sound pretty cool but it's not <laughs> but um i think also all you really mean is oh i i know how fragile things are that's really what the, the club is it's like something got taken from me that was really painful so now i know how fragile life is and if you haven't had like you said that definitive grief often you can you can be like oh yeah i can imagine it's really sad and you're like no no it's not no, sad. Yeah. it's yeah. it's terrible yeah. <laughs> it's beyond sadness yeah. so yeah yeah of course you didn't know to say those things to him because you know two brothers two scottish brothers I exactly exactly um know. I, I
0: love i love the way that i mean i've, I've heard this on the show before where you, you know you talk about it as a club and i just you know i i, I love that terminology because of course you know it's, it's a club that no one would you know willingly join but i felt so strongly in in the aftermath and ever since that you know there's this very unique bond that you know Mm. once once you've experienced that you know you share that bond with every other human that has
1: yeah I know and it's it's sort of I mean I think I harp on about it because it's sort of the only good thing that you sometimes (laughs) get of a thing of like you go oh we're all really connected and we all love people and we all have a similar pain when they go and sometimes it's helpful to remind yourself how connected we are as humans because it can be easy to be like oh i i don't like them or i don't like their opinion on this or they don't like this and they're not like me and then you're like oh no we're really all just the same bag of bones walking around with slightly yeah. slightly different heights that's basically <laughs> what's going on um so then you you talked to him in that room for a long time and then did you have the the funeral quite quickly i mean that must have been a very strange to know he died in boxing, on Boxing Day and then suddenly gathering people and especially someone young, young yep. people funerals are yep. like packed. Sure. Like. Ab-
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so, we did two things. And, and yeah, I think they both happened fairly quickly. We did a there was a sort of, you know, memorial service and, and a burial that was, you know, really pretty small, like close friends and family. And then I think it was late. It was later the same day, I think we did this celebration of his life which was you know as you say hundreds of people and you know truly a celebration and I think one of the for all I would never relive that horrific time again of, of not knowing the one thing about waiting all those months like yeah. it really did mean that you kind of knew what you wanted to say like 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 and yeah, all those things I'm sad yeah. you, you know and I, I see you know when people die and you know just people in this tumult of grief having to think well what poem would they like or what song would and you know it's it's impossible and so we were you know we were able to really come together and and have this you know real genuine celebration
1: yeah that's so interesting that I've never thought about it from that term that obviously awful awful but you did have time to go I know what I want to stand up and say and I know what music he wants and and you're not, like you said, you're obviously still still in that madness of grief, but you've had time to some time, which is so rare. Yeah, yeah. And
0: and I think it's a particularly sort of, I, I don't know if it's a particularly British thing or a European thing or a Western thing for want of a better world. But one of the things that, so I spent a lot of time in Thailand in, in the aftermath. And one of the things that really struck me was in the Buddhist tradi- tradition in that particular area, or at least, you know, amongst the people I knew there, you have this important ceremony at a hundred days, wow. um, and a hundred days is this sort of. I, I think you know, and I, I may well be getting this wrong, and you know, hopefully people can email in and tell me how, how, <laughs> how, how wrong I've got it. But um, I think the basic idea is that the hundred days marks the sort of transition of the spirit from being generally around to kind of Mm. being somewhere else. And I think that, I don't even know what if there's statutory bereavement leave in the UK, but you know, the basic idea seems to be that we have that, you know, someone dies and whoever it is, five days later, you're back at work as if yeah. nothing happened, you know, and you're mm-hmm. supposed to just put it behind you and, and get on with it and stuff. And I think that that notion of coming together at 100 days or three months or, you know, is just it's really such a such a beautiful thing. And I wish we had something more like that in our culture that was kind of known.
1: Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? That's really nice. I Yeah, they've just I think they've just introduced like a two week statutory bereavement leave. I think it was introduced very initially for like um, people who'd lost children sure. and then has now been allowed for like any bereavement you can claim this leave which is but you know it's 2020 and people are like oh yeah I guess it is sad isn't it when someone dies I'm like yes yes <laughs> I think it, I might need some time off but 100 days is really interesting there's something very solid about that number
0: yeah and I can completely
1: and, uh, understand coming back to at that time and being like yeah now I want to talk about it again <laughs> it, 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 exactly
0: and I, and I think it's um I guess what I love about it is that, is that like it it does two things so it says we're not forgetting this person, we're mm. going to talk about them, we're going to come together and remember them. But at the same time, it also says, we are going to continue on our grief journey. You, you yeah. know, we're not, stay, we're not going to stay lost in this first period of awfulness forever. You know, mm. you, you know we're, we're going to carry on and time is going to alter things. Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. When did you go to Thailand? How long did you wait? To- yeah, or- so so, so mm. it,
0: it was a while. It was, um I mean, I mean to, to begin with, and, and I beat myself up now actually for quite a few years about that, like I didn't go with my uncle at the time, you know, right at the start, and yeah. you know, I mean, that was just a practical thing that you know, my mum was, of course you know in bits oh and, your and, ma- and also you know,
1: if i was a mother i'd be like you're not going yeah, like this a, sort, like
0: a, 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 you're saying yeah. Um, yeah yeah completely like, um, yeah. so yeah because we and even actually my uncle in all the incredible things he did actually that was one of them because nobody nobody could say that there wasn't about to be another tsunami like you know that yeah. that was a real a, a genuine consideration a genuine risk at that point um so we had the um the yeah yeah the services in march and then I think that was when I began to think I really need to go you, you yeah. know you know I, I, I need to go and just kind of partly because because it remained a mystery to me like yeah, n- yeah. you know as to you know I'd never been to Thailand I didn't know what it was like there I didn't know anybody who had been affected by a tsunami like everyone was so kind and thoughtful and supportive but you know if you if you grew up in Scotland you you know you maybe read about a tsunami and primary school and a list of you know terrible things yeah. that can happen to other people elsewhere in the world but it's not it it's not on your radar so I'd left medicine and i was already working as a screenwriter at that point and I didn't really work for those first few months and then I, I got a, a job came through in kind of May and June and I did that job and then that was when I said so I think that meant I had a bit of money apart from anything else to, to travel yeah. to Thailand <laughs> um, and uh, my one of my brother's best friends Neil was um, up for up for coming and, and so we went out together and I think we went Initially, we had this big idea that we were going to go and help rebuild the island because we'd, we'd read online <laughs> that, that like people were people were doing that and of course what they needed was like an out of shape uh you know <laughs> scottish book person you know because that's that's exactly exactly, exactly oh you're means.
1: here with your reading yeah. fantastic <laughs> <laughs> it, it, excellent it, it, exactly. do you think of uh, dickens as a victorian novelist compared with the georgian worker yeah yeah they're like yeah, yeah no c- mate c- we need c- some c- carpenters c- and we need some electricians <laughs> um,
0: ab- 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 absolutely so um we got there and we found that you know first of all actually i think a lot of a lot of volunteers had been there for months and had actually genuinely contributed and like mm. lots of but all of that stuff had basically it certainly hadn't all been sorted out but like like i guess the sort of the basic cleanup
1: the immediate you, you know, had, yeah, had, yeah. had been
0: done by you know this this wonderful group of people that you know are forever forever being off but so neil and i got there and, and we found something else we found a group of people who were building a memorial garden on the island where, where my brother had been And we got involved in that. And of course, you know, again, I thought, you know, I'm doing this wonderful thing for the victims of the tsunami. I'm, you you know, um, when in fact, clearly what I was doing was working through my own grief. Um, But But you can do
1: two things at the same time. Like, I think that's important. We can get, we say this on the show all the time, we can get very binary with like, no, this was the thing that was good for the grief or this was naturally... Yeah, a memorial garden is hugely important, but it, it, it can also help you. Like, sure, they can yeah. exist. Both things can be there.
0: I, I, I think that's right. And I think that um, earlier when you were talking about that club, the, mm. the, the club that you go into when you're, when you're bereaved, I think, you know, there's lots of terrible things about losing your loved one in a a natural disaster or, you know, mm. some kind of mass casualty event that's, that's so public. But one of the things that really, you know, I never... I never really see much spoken about is the sense of family and camaraderie that, that you end mm-hmm. up having with other people that have been through that same experience so some of the other people involved in buildings from oral garden had been through that experience and some of them were some of them lived on the island they were australian some were thai you know there, there was a sort of group of different people and, and different experiences and i should also say there was a lot of incredible volunteers from from the UK and the rest of Europe who didn't have a Mm. family connection at all and were just, you know, had been, you know, traveling in the region and wanted to come and help out. And, you you know, again, that's just a whole other sense of camaraderie and and friendship. But in terms of of what I was saying earlier about, like, demystifying the process um, Mm. and understanding what had happened, spending time with people that had, you know, that had lived through it, and also just the simple fact of, everybody on that island had you know lost not just one person usually in fact multiple people mm. um, and just that that shared experience was such a you know such a help to me to, to hear people yeah to hear
1: people. we you know I'm currently writing a book about grief and um, <laughs> another club that we can form yep. and, um, <laughs> and I've been writing about the, the club and I keep coming back to this thing of like the club has many 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 rooms and it's so, the the comforts that you receive from, and you can visit quite a few, you know, a few. so like, you know, I can visit someone in the dad-dad room, uh, but if I find someone in the pancreatic cancer-dead-dad room, it's like, oh, wow. And if I find yeah. someone in the teenage pancreatic cancer-dead-dad club, I'm like, oh, great. Like, yeah. and it's this this thing about human connection. Like, it's so weird. Like I said, it's so weird, isn't it? And you said so primal. But like when I do speak to someone, you know, and they, they tick those boxes, for want of better words, I feel like I don't have to explain myself yeah. and there's a comfort to that. There's a comfort to going, you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, I do. And it's yeah. not polite and it's not like, oh, I can imagine. And I guess, yeah, you know, for you, like you said, for something so not random, but so mad and, and once in a lifetime it thing that happens a natural disaster I mean that is you know not your everyday experience compared to someone you know whose dad died of cancer which you know I can find lots of people who will you know have different cancers or different times but will know what it likes will know what it's like to have a dad die of a terminal illness so for you I really understand that need and that comfort of finding other people who are like yeah I also lost someone in a tsunami like because I imagine as you said in edinburgh or glasgow they were thin on the ground sure, yeah. I, 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 sharing absolutely. your
0: experience yeah but but then i i always feel that like and, and again it's it's always couched in the like none of this is good you don't want to be in any of these clubs yeah, it's,
1: it's not cool guys yeah, but yeah. It, we're doing we're making the best yeah. we're making yeah, the best yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but i always feel that like actually one of the one of the things about the kind of loss that we experienced with dominic is that like, firstly, people know about it, the wider community yeah. know about it. So, you know, of course, you don't want it to That's be in the true. paper. But equally, it means that everyone knows. You don't have to tell everyone mm. what's going on. But also that, you know, I think, you know, one of the one of the toughest things about grief is how lonely it is. And I can imagine if you're a 15-year-old and, and your dad has passed away and you're probably the only yeah. person in your school or one of three people in your school or w- mm. w- w- whatever that is. Whereas I, as soon as I got to Thailand, immediately found an entire community of, of people wow. like me
1: and did that did you really feel that when you sort of when you got to the island did you feel like how did it feel did your shoulders kind of drop were you like oh okay they get it or was it just no I mean I
0: mean it was tough to start with because you know it's too hot and you know mosquitoes (laughs) and you know we were doing basically manual labor which I'm not built for (laughs) um so so lots of lots lots of those challenges and we were only supposed to be there for two weeks because we were going to rebuild the island in two weeks right that was great it should take
1: about two three tops for sure
0: yeah Um, and so after you know when we came to it was only like you know two days before we were supposed to go to go home that um you know and Neil had to go home because he had had a job that he had to go back to um and I suddenly said to Neil you know I'm thinking I might stay on a bit longer you you know I think this might be um and of course he was very supportive and so and and so I did but it definitely I think it took a couple of weeks to really get into this ring of things and even you know the people that I became very close to I think we still all have our you know we're all quite reserved as humans a lot of the time and so so it's not like you know you it's not necessarily that you meet and immediately you're into the the deep stuff no
1: no no that's true that's true yes that's that's how I work (laughs) it's always quite intense quite quickly um so how long did you stay for
0: so I went for a month uh and then I went back to Edinburgh for a couple of weeks and then I came back bringing my mum uh wow how was that I wish I'd asked her before I came on because uh, as I <laughs> as I remember it I think it was great I think it was a really mm. important step on our journey together and I wanted her to uh, she'd been to Thailand before so it wasn't you know she was probably mm. better at travel than me in fact and, and and so it wasn't sort of it wasn't like a fish out of water kind of comedy she was yeah. kind of she, she was she was kind of okay at that but I think you know I wanted her to kind of meet the people that I had met and kind of mm. understand things through the prism that you know, that I had come to. And I think... You know, I think for her, actually, I think I remember her saying this. I think she's. All, I remember her saying something like, "That was all great, but actually, the bit I liked was spending time with you." So, so I think you know, <laughs> we probably could have gone to Devon for a similar, a, a similar, a, 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 a similar experience.
1: Did you Did you go to the beach? Like, did you sort of go, yeah, visit yeah. Or I, mean, that? I mean, I
0: mean, that was a big part of you, you know. I'm a you know, as I said, I, I was a doctor, so I'm a essentially, I'm a scientist in, in my mm. brain, you know, and I'm a detail person, so, so 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 I want to know and I want to understand things, um, and. One of the one of the big misconceptions I had was, you know, just the physicality of it. That you know, I remember what, one of the things we hung on to at the time was Dominic is twenty seven and he's a, you know, he's strong and he's a good swimmer. So, mm. you know, how can, you know, how can a wave actually cause that, you know, cause that problem? And so, but one of the things that I learned from from the experience was, you know, I I learned a bit about tsunami and you know the the description of a wave is kind of it's kind of the wrong metaphor because it is a wave but you know to to go into the physics of it it's a wave with a 20 mile long period so so basically it's wow. if, if you're standing on the beach it's not it's not that there's a wave it's that there's a river thames there suddenly that that wasn't there before
1: oh my goodness yeah, yeah that is a very different picture isn't it because i'm yeah. the same as you you sort of imagine a massive wave but yeah it's not it's not as simple as that no yeah. no
0: it, it, exactly yeah and so i think being there helped me to understand the 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 geography of it because i think from from the news reports i had this sense of like you know there was terrible b- bad luck to be there in the first place and then there was also mm. terrible bad luck because you know you hear all these miracle stories of like people surviving yeah, by yeah. climbing on a roof or hanging on a tree or something but actually being there and kind of being taken around and showing things by the people that lived there you know you very quickly come to understand that really no one survived where they were like they were just in mm. in in the worst place and you understand that there's some unique geography about that island that um it's not uh at its highest point on on the main bit where the town is it's only about twenty feet above sea level and the way the bay is shaped kind of like funnels f- funnels water in so so we went and we kind of one of the Thai people I became friendly with had had worked at the place where my brother was staying and he was kind of able to identify for us like to the spot where where their bungalow had been. Mm. Um, And so when my mum came out, we went and we did like a little ceremony there. You know, we lit some candles and listened to some some Bob Marley, which is what my brother (laughs) loved. Um, So I don't know. I know that some people, when they lose someone that's the very last thing that they want to do and i know people you know that i know through the tsunami that that's been their way of grieving is you know they don't want anything to do with it and they would never mm. dream of going to thailand or, or anything like that but yeah i was i was very much the opposite i needed to kind of go and understand it and then this wonderful thing happened where my brother really liked thailand like he'd been there a few times and you know he was always he was always telling me to go and I never kind of wanted to because I was always kind of like a fussy traveller, you know, and I sort of <laughs> yeah. was like, well, you know, will there be enough air conditioning? Am I going to be able to like, how am I going to get from the airport to the hotel? What do mm. you mean there isn't a hotel? How, how where, where will I sleep? How, what will I eat? Um, mm. uh, and so, um, you know, I, I guess I've, I've spoken of it sometimes as this kind of Thailand being this last, you know, this last incredible gift that, 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 that my brother gave me because I kept, I kept going. And
1: when did you start? Because you you wrote the book about it in 2011. Well, it came out in 2011. Yeah. When did you start? Because as you said, you're already a screenwriter, and we talk about this on the show all the time. I'm ob- I'm obsessed with the narrative of a death, wow. and how that can change how you feel about it, and how important it is to have a hold of that narrative. Like, so you see yourself in that narrative. So, when did you start thinking? I need to write about this. I wouldn't. Yeah. That. To begin
0: with, I was absolutely adamant that I was never going to write about it. And wow. it was such a. I didn't. Partly, I didn't feel entitled to. You know, mm. I felt it was this sacred thing and that, you know, I didn't want in any way to be taking advantage of it or, or capitalizing mm. on it. Because, of course, in some way as a, as a writer, you know, you can kind of see there's a book there, right? Um, yeah. But, but, but I actually, I mean, I genuinely actually didn't. And, and what happened was, so I had, you know, I'd been... Kind of working on the peripheries of TV screenwriting for a while, by which I mean, you know, I got sort of reasonably steady work, kind of like some rewriting things, some, you know, writing pilots that never went anywhere. And, you know, it wasn't, you're um, <laughs> nodding, probably, probably, yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That, all that there. fun job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it wasn't the glory days of British television and it wasn't mm. the glory days of my television writing. So, you know, in a way, it's probably good that none of them went anywhere. Um but something happened that the i guess the the kind of work i was doing was like kind of like gentle lighthearted warm comedies because partly mm. that was what itv sh- showed in 2004 i'd kind of got to this point where you know people kind of liked what i did and i'd you know been cunningly maneuvering myself for a couple of years into a position where it was probably time to kind of write my own show and everyone was ready to receive this this gentle warm comedy from me and of course, everything I found myself writing was ostensibly a gentle, warm comedy, but it was always about someone dying or someone's <laughs> brother dying or like a mass catastrophe um you know and and it
1: leaks out of you, doesn't it? It <sighs> leaks out, and you're um, like uh, you're like this is so what am I writing and you're like, but I can't write anything else because you, that's the grief the grief is just. It, yeah I i mean I remember as I've said before like when I started doing character stand-up and like everything was so bleak and about grief but like wrapped up in this character and I think what come on come on try and write something like come on <laughs> you can do it and it was like no because you're just in that bit of your grief and it just
0: there's no choice, really. Absolutely. And so, um, and I think it was really difficult for the people I worked with because, of course, they wanted to support me because they'd just been through this horrific thing. But, you know, the thing I wrote, you know, they, they, they couldn't show it yeah. on my TV. It was a sitcom set <laughs> in the afterlife. And, of course, now sitcoms set in the afterlife are all the rage. All oh, the know, rage. But, you, you know, yeah. 2004 was just, was, was just too early for that. So I didn't want to write about it. It was, frankly, ruining my screenwriting. Um, and also, but also this thing happened where I didn't, I think as many people do when they lose someone i kind of under i reevaluated my priorities mm. and what i was doing in life and you know i had trained as a doctor and i'd the reason i'd become a writer i'd taken six months out to write my great book of literary short stories because what the world had needed was a great book of literary short stories by me when i was 24 and no oh, yeah. th- thankfully they didn't and no one published <laughs> it you know I, we wouldn't be here talking today probably if yeah. they did and of course after the tsunami and the year in thailand i felt what, what am I doing with myself? I'm gonna go back to medicine. So, so, so I went back to medicine and that was, you know, frankly such a relief because I was always quite envious of people I knew that when they lost someone still had sort of structure and routine because as you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a sort of freelance person, you yeah. know, a freelance creative person, it's very easy to sit all day thinking about yourself and, and that's not <laughs> necessarily great at a time of grief. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I then, um, I went back to medicine, and almost as a like I describe it as a creative exorcism that like I was never you know it was never for publication but I knew I kind of just had to get this stuff out because Mm. it was you know it was coloring everything it was coloring everything I tried to to write and I had begun to realize that like I was already forgetting like things about my brother and I was forgetting sort of specific memories and so I decided I was going to start writing about it and it was just for me and it was never for publication and and of course I started writing and it just came, you know, flowing out and, you know, I just couldn't stop writing about about it for a long time. And eventually I kind of, showed it to a friend and they said, well, you know, I'm really moved by it, but also have you thought about publishing it? And I said, no, no, it's not for publication. But of course, with hindsight, what was I doing showing it to my friend? I'm sure there was some devious part of my subconscious that was saying, well, show it to your friend. And if they want it to get, you know, if they say you should get it published, then who are you to stand in their way?
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think that, you know, you're a writer and you can write something just for yourself. And I think that's often the the best way to start a project is to trick your brain. This is just for me. And then you take the pressure off, but writers write to be, to be read. They don't write for things to go into drawers. So of course, you know, once you've done it, you start thinking, it's not not bad. Is it quite, (laughs) someone should read it. Like, yeah, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's like your, in your DNA. So yeah. So then you, you wrote it and obviously it became very successful. I just wondering. We talked about this on the show a lot as well, of like the weirdness of success that comes from something so painful. Like, sure. how did you sort of yeah. manage that kind of weird? Like, oh, that's great, but is it because mm, I wrote it because my brother died?
0: Yeah, it was. You know, it like it was definitely like a very bittersweet experience. You know, I mean, I think I think what really made it great for me was that it meant that. I got to talk about him because, you know, one of the things about grief is, you know, everyone's always very kind, but, you know, naturally people you know, people move on and people have their own lives to deal with. And, you know, again, much like the Hundred Days Ceremony, you know, the book was published in twenty eleven and we'd lost them in, you know, the end of two thousand and four. So the idea that six years later we could come together and talk about them and I got to do a you know, we're from Edinburgh and I got to talk at the Edinburgh Book Festival and you know, the audience was just filled with, you know, our friends and family and it was, you know, probably basically all the same people that had been at the the, the celebration right the, the memorial service that was a real privilege um there was uh someone i think it was like in the telegraph like one of the reviews said this lovely thing where it sort of said something like you know simon stevenson probably feels guilty that you know he was he has this story to tell and he probably feels guilty for telling it but he shouldn't because you know he's he's told it in the right way or something and and that really meant the meant 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 the world to me and you, know, you know that was that mm. was that was a very generous comment from someone who didn't need to do that but then I think the um the i guess the other sort of interesting bit of it is That was 2011. And, you know, my plan then was then, you know, then I was a real writer. I was a grown up writer because I'd published Mm -hmm. a memoir and that was what serious writers do. And it had been on Radio 4 and therefore, you know, I had my my membership card to the, you know, the the, the fancy writers club. And what that then meant was that, you know, I had to write a novel because that was what grown up writers do. And I couldn't. I, I, you know, I quit my job to write a novel and I, you know, started five or six novels and none of them, got past about 10,000 words. And with hindsight, the problem was that the book about my brother had just, it felt, you know, already with hindsight in 2011, it felt like it was kind of the only story I would ever have to tell that was worth mm. telling, you know, because it was such a big thing and it was true and it was important. And then the idea that I would now just go and make something up and that that would be as, you know, as as important to me or, or worth anyone reading was just... That felt like quite quite an alien thought, so um so, so so I guess the the other part to writing about that stuff is that it did it did ruin that kind of writing for me for quite a long time afterwards.
1: yeah, I mean, I can really relate to that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I think it's interesting when you are someone who talks about your grief publicly and at time, like it's as ever, there's two truths. And one of the truths is it's wonderful because you get to talk about it and everyone knows your story. So everyone's very sensitive because everyone's like, Oh no, I know exactly what happened to them. So you never have to be in a situation where you're like, "Uh, don't make that joke. Like this happened to me. Everybody knows. So that's really nice. It's like, yeah, it colors a lot of your life. It's very sad. You're kind of in sadness a lot. And then, i totally relate to when you've written about something so truthful and so from from the heart really really from the heart that at the next thing that you're like i mean i find out when i go back to writing comedy and you're like oh something stupid happens you're like oh really yep. really life yep. does it <laughs> like they they <laughs> fall over and then they suddenly realize we're all gonna die like, yep. <laughs> yeah it's it's hard isn't it it's, it's it's hard but i think it sounds like well you know you, you do have a new book coming out and it sounds like you found your way through that. I guess it's just patience, isn't it? It's like not just allowing going, hey, this is all part of the grief journey. Of course, the next book isn't going to just pop, pop out easily. It's going to take time for your heart to kind of reform from that, you know, you exposing it so truthfully.
0: I, I, absolutely. I, I think completely that, you know, I think for so many of us, that's just the resounding lesson of these experiences, isn't mm. it, is, is that things happen on their own time.
1: You know, yeah, you
0: know, and uh, it was interesting what you were saying there about talking about your story and everyone, ev- everyone knowing your story because I almost find. And, and you mentioned about them, you know, someone makes a joke and it's, you know, it's a tough one. And, and it's almost like it, for me anyway, it's not that I'm insulted about it. It's just that when I then tell them what's happened, then they're going to feel awful. And that's like this, <laughs> this, this, whole, this whole other thing, right? But um, one of the problems I have with um, with actually talking about that book is that, you know, it was, it was published five years after the event. So it's tremendously sad in the beginning, mm. but it's also... Um, Quite funny in places I mean you know mm-hmm. and I can say that because people have told me it's quite funny in places and you know I get sort of you know people sort of saying you know oh you know I'm, I'm reading your book it's it's so sad and I said well keep going it gets funny you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's like with the podcast I'm constantly like yeah it's about my dad dying but it's cheery than it sounds yeah. like it's actually yeah. like <laughs> sometimes the episodes some of the episodes are like actually really funny and then yeah. you're like Carrie I don't like don't over push the comedy like sure, it is also yes. about death because then you can see they look at you like wow they really haven't dealt with that have they like yeah. they're <laughs> now making constant jokes you're like no it's not i'm more adjusted than i'm making it sound and the
0: phrase you used that it's cheerier than it sounds i mean that's the phrase i use like all the time that's yeah. the endless one when i described that's that literally book.
1: like yeah on the like press release for Griefcast. Oh, brilliant, it's just wonderful. like yep. as soon as people say as soon as like oh i do a podcast about death you know i have i have kids now and so you have that sort of playground chat yeah. <laughs> and it's a very like, oh, I do this podcast about death and their faces. I'm like, it's cheerier than it sounds. It's, it's actually good. with comedians. <laughs> and then they kind of relax. They're like, oh, okay. Cause for me, they're like, oh God, am I going have to have to like a really depressing conversation with you? And it's, sure. yeah, it's that joy of the club, I guess, isn't it? Knowing, oh no, we can use humor and it doesn't mean we didn't love and really yeah. miss that person. Like, Absolutely. how are you feeling about it now as you approach 16 years? Has it, is it starting to move into a different phase or is it, it's still very painful or i don't think it's still very painful i mean
0: obviously you know i think you miss your loved people forever um but i definitely feel like and whether you know i think the big part of it is time i remember Mm. in the midst of it my one of my uncles saying you know it won't it won't always feel this way you know you'll reach a point where you can think of him and, and be happy about him and i just remember thinking well I love you, but that's absolutely ridiculous. That's never going to happen. And genuinely, you know, I am at that And I think I've been here for, you know, quite quite some time. The main feeling I have is just, you know, I feel bad for them just for, you know, the fact that they didn't get to, you know, have all these years of life, which I'm enjoying. And, you know, I'm out here, you know, having this great adventure in California. And, you know, my brother didn't ever get to come to California, you know, and I, you know, he would have loved it. And and so so that stuff remains really tough, but it's not sort of you know, the agony of the early months or the early years. And if, you know, I look back and I think, you know, probably if you'd asked me year two or year three, I would say, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. You, you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and actually it's only when you look back and you go, wow, no, that was still it. So maybe in 10 years, I'll look back and go, wow, after only 16 years, I, I really was just, you know, at the at the beginning of the journey.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Because I think the the weird thing is if, at any point, if you because I'm 20 plus years now, um, You think if someone had asked me at that time, I would have gone. No, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm sort of okay. Like, (laughs) apart from obviously year one, two, I think where you're just insane and deeply, deeply, you know, upset all the time. But yeah, I would have thought to myself, oh yeah, I'm okay. And and then yeah, then you look back. God, I don't think I was okay in year five. Actually, was I? Like, I was doing lots of weird things. (laughs) Like, but that's you know, also that's life. Also, that's that's not always connected to them, but also sometimes it is. And it's important i guess as you said to just just allow it to be and i i i am now that annoying not annoying but i am now that uncle like i speak to people Brilliant. who yes. are year 1 and 2 and i'm like i promise you it's going to change and i see them looking at me like fuck you yeah. like i know i know but like we have this joke on another episode with the writer um perna bell And she was, we were calling ourselves like grief elders. Like you feel like the one in the village that's like, you know, trust me. And it's really, it's really hard because when you are in the beginning, you just, when someone says that to you, you're like, I I can't conceive of not finding this so painful. I can't even speak about it. And it, that's what people mean by time, like when they say time heals and it's such a shit it's a shit phrase because it, it needs to be longer. Like it needs to be time will afford you a perspective to realise that you know you love them, you miss them, but also your life has moved on, and that will feel yeah. a healing process. <laughs> like, which you know doesn't make for a great card. So yeah, no, no, for sure, uh, for sure. But uh, I understand. I th- yeah, I, th- I
0: think that's exactly right. Is, is that um, yeah, healing is healing is very complex, and, and as you mm, say, isn't yeah. just is, isn't just isn't just a single word.
1: But Simon, thank you so much. It was so brilliant to talk to you. Like. And to hear about Dominic and your journey with that, I just think what an incredible, yeah. And I hate to say it because it sounds like an incredible story. It is an incredible story. And yeah, to share Dominic with us in that way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well,
0: well, thank you for having me and and thank you for, you know, the work that you do because I think it really is so genuinely, you know, important to bring people together to share this journey. I I think it's incredible. So thank you.
1: You can follow Simon on Twitter at the Simon Bot, B-O-T. His book, Set My Heart to Five, is out in paperback in the new year, but obviously is available in hardback now. And Let Not the Waves of the Sea is also available to buy from all good bookshops. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. The show was edited by Kate Holland. Artwork was by Jade Perkin. And remember, you're not alone.